Before we begin the show, I just want to say that this podcast is brought to you by the Wedding Video Boss Patreon page. There you can pledge as low as $1 to keep the show going. Different tiers give you different perks like transcripts of all the current episodes. This is for those who don't have time to listen for an hour. You also have extra episodes that are a little bit more in-depth and straight to the point. Also, for a limited time, coaching sessions with me. So head on over to www.patreon.com that's p a t r e o n.com/weddingvideoboss to learn more. All right, see you there. The way I look at it, particularly when it comes to motivation and particularly when it comes to mindset, you need to take the elements that work for you and apply them into your own life. You need to spend more time on looking at your positives then you need to spend looking on your negatives just like as a rule <laughs> because you need to have more positivity in your life my god everybody else is is so ready to like be negative about you and to knock you down if you're doing that to you as well you really don't stand a hope you have to make sure that you you know you're being positive and looking at all of the the strengths that you have and again that goes back to the journaling and following through and seeing and tracking yourself and tracking yourself on a regular basis to see how far that you've come. Oh yeah. Welcome to the Wedding Video Boss podcast where we talk about the business of being a wedding creative and on Mondays I invite over wedding business gurus to talk about specific topics of their expertise. And today we have Dee McMeeking she is a motivation and mindset expert, and she's here to talk about how every wedding creative can get started on the right track with motivation and mindset and obtain the best results. So Dee is a well-known expert on the subject of motivation and mindset and has graciously consented to this interview to share with us the beginner's guide in this area so every wedding creative can understand how to get started and how to succeed as a solopreneur. Dee, thank you again for joining us on this live interview. So let's jump right in. Hey Dee, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for asking me. I'm delighted to be here. It's a real pleasure. I, w- I was talking to you earlier about um, trying to do a, like a background check about who you are and what you do. and Because I've been following you on Instagram a lot and... I, I, I was mentioning earlier about your blog and there's so much information there that I did, didn't did really expect and I really believe that people need to go to your blog and, and read it because it's just so much gold. But we're going to try to like talk about a little bit of the ones that yeah. stuck out for me. So I, I do wedding videography for a living, but most of my listeners are also wedding planners. I have DJs and photographers. So this is like the perfect, you're the perfect person for this subject. <laughs> so before we get into it, uh, do you mind telling the listeners something about yourself that they probably don't know about you? Well, one thing that most people don't realize is that when I met my husband, he proposed within three to four days and I said yes. So when people kind of like start talking about marketing for your business and they say, you know, would you propose on the first date and accept? I'm kind of like, "Mm, well, kind of did in a roundabout (laughs) way. Kind of not the greatest thing to use for me. So, yeah. But then we kind of like had a a hidden engagement for about two years before we told anybody. So, Um, yeah, not a lot of people know that. Okay. They do now. (laughs) I, I guess 
I feel like once you find the right person, it's, you're just going to hit it off. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. It, exactly. Same, same well, goes. we're still together 19 years later, so. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, this is my 10th year anniversary, so I can't wait for the 19th one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're only 13 years married. We were married six years before we got, uh, we were engaged for six years before we got married. Okay, that's cool. But it's still a long time. <laughs> you, you, I don't know if you've, have you seen like a trend of like people getting married with a shorter engagement? Um, Not really, no. Not, not, certainly not around here. Um, Oftentimes I'm kind of working with people for, 18 months or longer and that's even just with styling and florals even leaving the planning side aside so yeah now we tend to have quite long periods okay you know, i'm from california and usually it's shorter way shorter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay now um i would love it if you tell us your origin story like how you got started and what you're up to right now Okay, so I've been, I'm one of these people that I found a, found a word for me. Apparently, I'm a multi-potentialite. And that's somebody that gets like really interested in loads of different things and either works at three of them, three, four different things at the same time and brings them up to really high levels or one after the other. So I'm definitely one after the other. Originally, um, my background was in geography and in urban planning and design. That was what my specialism was at university. I thought I wanted to be a university lecturer. Then I kind of did a load of postgrad work and I went, no, this isn't really for me. So I made the natural switch to becoming a primary school teacher, so teaching nine to 11 year olds. So I did that for about seven years and then loved the teaching, but the system got really kind of like, it was all about analytics and it was all about policy and it was about writing everything down and it kind of took creativity out of it for me. And I'm really passionate about people being themselves and being developed into who they can be for the best person that, that it is for them. So kind of for me, having a system that there was a lot of standardization in, just it just didn't sit right with me. I didn't have a great management team that were that were kind of like my leaders. So I kind of came home one night and said, um, I'm handing in my resignation tomorrow. And my poor husband just went, oh. <laughs> but he supported me and he said, look, I know you're not happy doing what you're doing. I'd much rather that you were happier and poor and stay in a really good job and just be miserable because I actually might get to see you if you leave that job because I was working crazy hours. So I then trained, um, well, I set up my own business as um, a wedding stylist, but I really just started by hiring out chair covers. Um, and this would have been seven, eight years ago. So seven, eight years ago, you've got to remember that sometimes the trends in the UK and in rural UK are a little bit behind where the States are. So I would have started out just kind of um, hiring out chair covers and then starting to put in little small elements of table decor in there. And then I trained as a wedding planner and stylist. So I got like a formal qualification in it. And then my business just kind of started to grow and I did everything wrong. So I'd come from like a background of education and then it was a situation of, okay, now you're running a business. And I kind of tried to Google stuff and it was a case of, okay, so, you know, you need a business plan. Oh, okay. I need a business plan. What's a business plan? So go onto Google and I was reading stuff and I hadn't got a clue. It was like competitor analysis. And I'm like, what's that mean? And <laughs> um, you should have this, you should have that. What do you want to do? Like your, your profit forecasts. And I'm like, well, I just want to make money. So I have no clue. And I made so many mistakes, which is why now a lot of what I do when I'm now kind of doing coaching with people 
to try and get them the fast track and try and kind of like realize and make people realize that actually what's out there that's being sold to us as kind of like for companies is not necessarily the right thing for solopreneurs and certainly not the same. I mean, the wedding industry, as you know, we're kind of very different to most other industries because you tend not to get repeat business. You get like your one client and then they're out the door. But I was finding that everything about the business was kind of, you know, um, everything was kind of like you get your clients in and then you keep your clients. And it's like, that doesn't work for weddings. How is that going to work? Because we're kind of so niche as well in what we do. So, so I kind of then, like my business was starting to fail. Um, and I kind of nearly had to go back to the day job at least twice in the first three to four years. And I had loads of different part-time jobs kind of supporting me because I was just like determined. I was like, I'm not going back to nine to five. I really want to do this. And you do whatever you have to do. And you you take the risk that you can take. Um, and you, you have to support yourself somehow. So, I mean, I was doing all kinds of little part-time jobs at the same time. And you kind of just kind of start to grow. And then I was kind of like, okay, how am I going to change this? And I realized that I was doing all the hard work, getting my clients in the door. And then I was bringing them to my local florist shop and they were selling them all of the bouquets and the buttonholes and all of the flowers, the table centerpieces. And it was actually my mum that said to me, do you not think you should be doing that yourself? I was like, well, I can't do flowers. I was like, well, go and learn. You couldn't run a business a few years ago and you've learned that. So when I put flowers into my business, literally, that is where, what saved everything. I was able to double my income and um, double, double my average spend per wedding in 12 months. And then the next year, I doubled that again. And that was literally by putting flowers into my business and by niching my, my business down. So I was able to do less weddings at a higher turnover and earn more money at the end of the year. So that's where I was last year. Last year, I had my most successful year in terms of the styling clients that I had. And I actually earned more last year than I did when I'd left teaching. So that was kind of like a real like success story for me. It took me seven years to get to that point. But that was because I did everything wrong and I didn't invest in myself early enough. That will be the one thing that I would say to people starting out. You need to make that investment in yourself and learn from people that have, you know, been down the road ahead of you and do that as quickly as you can. There's never a right time to do it. But I regret not having had a coach earlier. And I regret not having put money into doing the courses. that could have actually got me that little bit further because I had this fear of like, I can't spend all of that money on doing that. But had I done that then, maybe I'd be two years further down the road now. So one of those one of those things so so then I kind of I kind of had my success doing my styling with my flowers and had all my ideal clients and figured all of that out and then um a lot of people I started to work part-time then as a tutor for an online academy training up um, wedding planners and stylists basically training people to do what I was doing in my business and I was working for somebody else and then I kind of realized actually I'm a perfect person to help these people to do exactly what I did. So I started to do some business coaching um, and I started to do that last year, um, which is where all of the, the blog posts and everything that, that you have found me through through that kind of a route. So, yeah. Um, so I do now I do a combination of still working with my clients. So I still have weddings on the go. But then I'm increasingly doing more one to one coaching and group coaching programs and then online training as well. So. 
So that's what I'm doing now and where I've come from. So I've kind of twisted and turned and gone through several different kind of mm. recreations of what I do. So I hate the question, what do you do? Because I don't do just one thing. <laughs> There's like a whole variation of things that I do, which which is what I love. That's so cool. You know, I, I feel like the, the best people to be mentors are the ones who tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and succeeded. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and gonna, I think the more yeah. people that are successful that actually will say, do you know what? I nearly went broke or I did go broke. I was just borderline. But even like Preston Bailey turns around and says and is very open about it and said, you know, I'm, I was like a million, a million and a half in debt. And then I figured out that I needed to have a business coach. I mean, so if people like him have been in that kind of situation and are so open about it. I don't understand why more people aren't. And I think it's just having the discussion of it. You kind of have, it's, it's ego really, isn't it? None of us want to say that we're struggling with anything. But it's part of your journey, particularly if you're going to be a solopreneur. And if there's only one of you, <laughs> you have to be all things. And you're not going to be perfect at everything. You just have to accept that. But you've got to then figure out what you are the best at and then play to your strengths. See, when you said that um, not everyone is open to say they're struggling or, you know, they they have a problem, it's it just goes back to your blog. Like what what it's part of what businesses your your competitors don't tell you, you know, it's just they don't. It's great. And there is so much that your competitors will never tell you. And I think some of my blog posts um, are like three things that your that your competitors will never tell you. And one of them is the number of weddings that they have. <laughs> Because you can't you can't do a direct comparison, and we all try and do that. We all try and compare ourselves to our competitors. And the way that we do that is, like, so bad. Like, we go on the social media channels. We know that that's not reality. That tells you nothing. That doesn't tell you if I have been paid to create that amazing floral display or if I have, like, um, just gone out and bought loads of flowers and made it myself as part of, you know, my branding it doesn't tell you an awful lot and it doesn't tell you about the story behind them either because what you have to remember what i'm constantly telling people is that people set up businesses for very different reasons for some people it is so that they are the main breadwinner and it is the big income coming into the household for other people it may be just a sideline they're quite happy if they only make a couple of thousand in a year. It's not important to them. They're doing it because of their passion or because they just want something else to do. They're in a nice position that, you know, financially they either have somebody else paying the bills in the house or they have an additional income stream and they're just doing this kind of, I wouldn't use the words playing with it, but they're doing it with kind of like, with, they're passionate about it, but they're not in it to grow a massive business. And I think, that's what you need to remember. You need to you need to really focus on what it is that you want to get out of your business and not be led by what other people tell you you should be doing. So there's a big difference between, you know, somebody who wants to earn enough money so that they can bring a family away on a three-week holiday in, in the summer. There's a difference between somebody who's doing that as a part-time business and still has a nine-to-five job five days a week or somebody like me who it is their only income stream. So if I don't get business in the door, well, then the bills don't get paid. So you kind of really have to think about how much you want to earn. And that should be one of the first things that you look at. But unfortunately, people don't. 
they kind of look at their their customer led initially and I know because I did exactly the same thing it's like how much do you want to earn it's like well whatever my customers will pay me but you have to then actually look at it and go okay how much do I need in a year and then how many clients at what price point do I need to actually get that and that's I think something that it took a lot of education for me and I, I think actually because so many of us are creatives when you're a creative you started with a passion that was a hobby and then it suddenly becomes something that you can develop into earning money. And when you're coming and transitioning from a hobby and something you do for pleasure that you absolutely love doing, it can be very hard to kind of like flip a switch in your brain to suddenly say, okay, now it's profit-led. Now it has to be about the money because you always kind of want to give, especially when it's a wedding and especially when you get on with your couple, you always want to give them something extra and there's the danger of putting in that extra time for free, that extra stock for free, that extra something. And you feel bad about it if you don't put it in because your nature kind of tells you, actually, I want to do that. But you have to kind of look at it and say, it's not a hobby anymore. It's a business that you're running. You can either have a very expensive hobby that's not earning you money, or you can have a business. And it's not a business if you're not actually making a profit. Yep. Oh my gosh, you just nailed it. <laughs> so that's the thing. Um, my gosh, my my brain is just running through different directions in your in your block. But I, so because you were talking about mistakes, right? That you've yeah. you've had a lot of mistakes, and I, I your latest blog post. I, don't, I I think it's your latest blog post. The three things to change to grow your business. That's your latest one, right? I honestly can't remember. Okay, <laughs> but the three things you have so, to remind me on that one. Okay, but I think that's the latest one, and it, the the number one thing that says is um, clients have the prices for everything before they meet you. Yes, that's perfect, and this is so true because when I started seven years ago, and now you laugh at this because I sound like a dinosaur. We still didn't have broadband. We still had dial-up like internet, so it wasn't even on the whole time broadband only came in because I live in a village in the middle of the countryside broadband only came in about five years ago to us so like wow. we didn't walk around with smartphones seven years ago now like the couples that you're dealing with it's just like yeah yeah I'm just going to check it now they know the prices of everything they can go on to exactly the same sites that I go on and they can buy the stuff for cheap but the other thing that we found particularly as stylists is that the whole homeware section of like what people are buying and put, putting into their homes has changed. The, the millennials now are buying and spending money on their homes and buying all of the decor that they love. That's the kind of stuff that we used to have to buy wholesale and then we could hire out. But you can't now because they can buy it at the same price as you and they'll just go, actually, no, we'll just buy it and we'll sell it on again afterwards. So there's a lot of changes that, you know, are happening. And I think that was definitely one of the points that was in that within that blog i think for you to be able to grow your business you could actually use that to your advantage and i that's pretty much what we've been doing this year is you know they already have the price in their heads right so yeah. with our website we educate them about the actual price of okay. what to expect because that's that's the only thing that you can do instead of them relying on different sources that are like probably old information or inaccurate information exactly and and it's all about your authenticity because people buy from people 
even though you can look up the prices of everything all over the place, at the end of the day, it's somebody's wedding that we're dealing with. And you have as much of a financial investment in that as you do emotional. I think the only other big purchase that I can kind of compare it to is if somebody is buying property, if somebody is buying a house or an apartment, that you get emotionally invested in it as well as financially invested in it. Um, unless, well, some people are like that buying cars, but I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, there is that that kind of a whole emotional involvement in there and you need to you need to connect with people and that's where the whole educating comes together and I think some people make the mistake that educating a client is all about telling them what's in a package it's not it's about educating them to who you are what your process is what your mission is and how you can actually help them at the end of the day and how you stand out as a different person to somebody else and it may only be something that you go and do a venue visit and you don't charge people for it because it's incorporated somewhere else in your pricing structure. But just telling them things like that and giving them choices and explaining them. Because I think a lot of new people into, into, into any industry, but particularly in weddings, you don't realize how kind of how uneducated some of the couples are that come to you. You get some that have looked everything up and they know exactly, they know the prices of everything, they know exactly what they're looking for, but you get others, and I've seen these at wedding shows and wedding fairs, and they look like startled rabbits in headlights because they're just going, oh my God, there's cars. Are we meant to be hiring a car? Oh my God, there's celebrants. What am I meant to do with this? And they just see so many different things and they get scared. And if it's their first show, I can spot them a mile away now. <laughs> show they're just like they're just overwhelmed by everything and oftentimes those are the clients that um if I get to talk to them and I have a conversation with them for 10 minutes they'll come back to me even six months later because I was the nice person that explained something to them on that first time when they were just like stood like stuck with overwhelm and I don't think we realize that at least half of the people out there that are looking for our services are overwhelmed because they do have information overload and it is as much our responsibility to educate them as to the process. And it is different depending on what region you are in the world and depending on the style of wedding that you're having. But, you know, whatever your niche is and whatever area you're working in, it's part of your job to educate people as to what you expect from that. And how you're to get the client is how you put your personal, like, spin and touch on that. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. You, you, education isn't only setting expectations, but also you're helping them. Yeah. So while you're helping them, you're also teaching them. Because yeah, you're right. Exactly. It's information overload. I can't, I can't stress enough like how social media by itself is just so much information. Like if you do a wedding venue hashtag and just everything's just going to come out and you have no idea what to deal with so yeah setting expectations is part of it but also just helping out and speaking of expectations your your second point with growing the business is um pinterest and styled shoots are raising expectations do you mind talking about that a little bit yeah totally so so we get this a lot because we deal with florals and styling so the first thing that a bridal deals go, oh, here, here's my Pinterest board. I want this. And they have no concept that actually this is just lots of elements done as a one-off that you would never be able to recreate en masse for 200 guests without a huge price tag on there. So there's, there's, there, there's a mixture that 
we as professionals can see the difference between a real wedding and an inspirational shoot. And we know the difference between when we're allowed to be creative, where we don't have we don't have to have things done by a deadline. We don't have a venue saying you can't come in before this time. You only have this amount of time for setup. Like they don't realize the behind the scenes on, on a style shoot where you can have as long as you want. <laughs> you can yeah. have 50 people there clambering over each other. And it's only a tiny little maybe four square meter space that you're actually dressing as opposed to a huge ballroom or kind of like two or three floors in a building. So they kind of, they don't realize the difference between inspiration and an actual real wedding. And what that's doing is almost artificially telling brides that they need more included in there. And then when they come to you, they're not all brides. Some are, you know, very savvy and they understand the difference between them. But when you get brides that are coming to you that are saying, yeah, I want this. And then you tell them the price of it. And they try to tell you that, that you're ripping them off. It's like, well, actually, this is the level of work that's involved. And this isn't real. This is done as a one off just to show you what can be done and just to kind of like show you different styles and ideas and trends. So, yeah, it's it's. I think it's brilliant and I use Pinterest all the time and Instagram to get loads of ideas for myself. But I could, I think I would struggle if I was a bride getting married now and I had all of that information because they, they can't narrow things down. And it's a real skill now to be able to read somebody's Pinterest board. So what I tell, tell my clients to do, um, both my bridal clients and my coaching clients, funnily enough, is like, go start a new board in 20 different images or 30 different images on there that appeal to you that are to do with whatever your wedding or your event then go back and look at them and tell me why you've chosen them and then group them together so some of them will have kind of like this kind of continuous repeating theme in there it might be a color it might be like gold or rose gold continuously coming up it might be a particular flower it might be a particular style whether it's more relaxed or more formal but then come up with five different words that you could actually put on those images. Then you're starting to narrow down what your actual style is. I think, let me know what you think too, but I think uh, styled shoots are supposed, us vendors, we need to announce to everyone that, oh, this is a styled shoot. Don't expect that your wedding is going to look like this because if, if you're there while we're doing the styled shoot, Around the area, there's like people doing construction and blah, blah, blah. So everything's just, you know, uh, everything was on purpose, built on purpose. And I feel like as vendors, we our job is to tell people that. And Yeah, totally so, agree. Yeah. So what, what, what do you think? What do you think the purpose of a styled shoot should be? Because uh, just coming from a wedding videographer standpoint, at least for us, styled shoots for us are supposed to be to develop a relationship with the vendors for us to be able to get familiar with wedding venues that are you know usually it's a wedding venue that they're trying to trying to uh, build a portfolio for and maybe like trying out new shooting styles but for us getting featured isn't really like top of the list because it's just a bonus if ever it gets featured we never get we we never really get work from getting featured so we don't try to push ourselves to be like oh this has this has to be great and we always try to show the vendors working 
and you know show the personality of the couple even if they're models but how, how do you feel about that well i don't do a lot of style shoots i tend to do like my own branding shoots or i work on other people's branding shoots um but an awful lot of startup businesses um now see it as their their almost their first step to get those images particularly if you're in florals or styling and um, to get those images to put onto your website and to have some professional photos so that you have something that's not just taken off your iPhone and um, to actually go onto your Instagram pages and for your, your um, you know, it's, it's portfolio building more than anything. And then so that you, if you can get them onto the blogs, then it's going to make you stand out if you have the badge and the logo from the blog on your website. And um, so that's kind of the, the big kind of like motivating factor for a lot of the people that are doing them um, at, at one part of the of the market. So you've got a lot of people that are new into the industry that are doing them. And exactly like you said, to build the relationships between other suppliers, get to know people in the industry in an informal setting that you actually have time to sit down and chat with them because you don't have time to talk to other vendors on a wedding day. Um, or even if you meet them like at a, at a wedding show, for a wedding fair, you don't really get to talk to them because you're too busy trying to get in your new clients yourself. Um, and I think then as well, there is the creative side of things where you'll have a group of people that want to try something creatively different and take something in that different direction. Um, and sometimes I think that's as much about um, just kind of showing that they're, they're still there and they're still engaged um, engage with the industry because sometimes we can all kind of go off and we're so involved in our clients that you don't actually interact with other suppliers unless you're working with a similar team. Um, I mean, from my end, I don't really see a lot of the other suppliers on a wedding because I go in, set all of my things up, and then I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Okay. So it makes so much sense because you're right. It It's just we, we don't have time to talk to each other, and this is like the perfect time for us to mm. build that and – yeah, you're right. It, it's just raising expectations in a good and a bad way, but <laughs> but that's the but thing. But they're fun yeah. to do for us as well because oh, there's yeah. no real pressure on. So I think it's kind of, you know, you got to look at it from that perspective too. It's just hard whenever like uh, the the planner isn't really good or the the models aren't professional. So And that's the thing. There's I hear back from people and it's probably 50-50 as to how successful or unsuccessful it was. So, you know, it's, yeah, it, it is a tough one. And then depending on what your actual, um, what your business is, it may be a cheap option for you or it may be expensive. I mean, if, if I'm expected to come along and I'm expected to pay for all of the flowers and you want something huge and an installation piece and you're expecting me to pay for all of that, but yet a makeup artist can come along with her kit and then just do the makeup. It's like, well, it's not quite equal on that. So I know sometimes people will, you know, split the bills between things, but it can be quite expensive. Yeah. It, oh man. So that's why we always uh, send them a bill. <laughs> we, we do it. Yeah, we do it for free, but we send them a bill. Like this is how much the value of what we did today. That's a really good idea, and I wish more people would do that because particularly when people are starting out, they don't realize the costs. They don't realize the costs to other suppliers that are in there. So, yeah, just raise expectations for the vendors. I can do that the next too. time. Yeah, <laughs> raise the expectations of the vendors too. <laughs> yeah. 
So you, the third the third point before we get into like the actual thing that we're going to yeah. talk about the third point you said you are expected I love this 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 just blew my mind I'm like holy crap she's right it said you said you are expected to be an expert and lux at zero client uh, zero client investment yeah that's crazy that's so and, true and that's the thing they want you to be the leading light and they don't want to pay you. It's just like, you can't have everything just because it's your wedding. And, you know, I want you to have the best day that you can possibly have, but you have to be realistic. And this is what you get for this amount of money. If you want this, I can do it for you. No problem, but it's going to cost you. And this is why it's going to cost you. And it goes back to what we were saying. You've got to educate the clients that it's not just about, it's not just about us deciding, oh, it's a wedding, let's put some extra decimal places in there. If I hear that again, I'm going to like be up for hitting somebody, I think. Because <laughs> it's like you hear it the whole time. And particularly in the UK, they're really negative in the media about wedding suppliers in general. The only thing, the only positive things you hear about weddings are royal weddings or celebrity weddings. That's the only positive stuff that you actually get. Everything else is like knocking us down that we're only in it for the money. And it drives me mad because it's like, you don't see me up at three o'clock in the morning putting flowers together and wiring things together for a bride that I can only do on the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we're expected to be brilliant, which obviously we are because we are, you know, ultimate professionals and what we do, but they expect us to know everything and to give it to them for nothing. And that's, I think, one of the things that I've seen most um, change in the industry in the last couple of years. And I think it also depends on the, the price point that you want to go into and sell into in the industry. Because it's not just one industry. Like, it's so segmented. Oh, yeah. And I kind of try to describe it to people as you have, you have like DIY brides, which is fine. And they want to do things themselves either because they are really creative and it's really important to them to do it themselves or because they're on a limited budget. And it drives me mad when I see suppliers looking down their nose at people like that because everybody has different values and everybody has different amounts of money. And people want to spend different amounts of money on different things. It's like, I'm happy to fly on a budget airline, no problem, but don't expect me to stay in a two-star hotel or in a campsite or in a caravan. I want a five-star hotel. It's just like, I'll choose to spend more money on one thing than I will on something else. Weddings are no different. And you can't make assumptions on people based on that. So you've kind of got like your DIY brides. Then you've got the, the low budget brides where they want as much as they can get on their limited budget. And they're realistic about that because they know they only have so much money to spend. Then you've got the ones that it doesn't matter what they want. They want the service and they want it personalized. Their first lead question is never how much. Their lead question is, can you do this for me? And when you say yes, they go, oh, really, can you? And then it's like, yeah, no problem. So you've got a whole chunk of people that they know what they want and they're happy to pay for it. And they are the ones that you, that will respect you and respect your um, your professionalism and your services. Mm -hmm. And then you go up into like crazy money and the celebrities and, you know, into kind of like six-figure weddings and stuff. One day I'll have a six-figure wedding client, yeah. and I'll fly you over to do the video. Oh, let's do that! Oh my gosh, that <laughs> would be great. <laughs> you know, I, I would love to hear what you think 
about this too. And you could you could say no, you don't agree, or you could say yes. But for me, I feel like as since we're in the wedding industry, we not all couples need to get married. Oh, not all couples need to have a wedding. Some just get married. You just go to this, the courthouse, get married. That's it. You don't have to have a big wedding. You don't have oh, to have, exactly. you know, extravagant flowers and the photographers following you around. You don't have to have that. So mm. I feel like for us wedding vendors, we have to look at ourselves as luxury products, like a luxury service. In that way, we can add more value to the price that we're going to charge. Because, you know, yeah, there's going to be DIY brides, but they still want to get have like a not really nice wedding and there should be mm. someone who caters to that. But everyone has to take a look at themselves and say, we're a luxury service. That's why we charge this much. And that's why, uh, that's why I'm giving the service. Like I'm not only are you providing the service, but you're also educating the couples, which also I feel like leads to being like a luxury brand. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree, I agree with you totally. Like it's a very personal thing, whether you want to have just you and who the person that you're marrying at the actual wedding, or if you want to have 600, 700 people there. And I don't think that anybody should be, um, should be priced out of having a wedding. And I think at the end of the day, sometimes certain suppliers lose track of the, of the fact that this is about love. This is about commitment. This is about two people connecting and actually, you know, agreeing to share their lives for share their lives together for eternity. Like that's what it's about. Just keep it special. Keep it real. Keep it about who you are as a couple. And that's something that I kind of constantly drive through. And I've actually turned couples away who I felt that that just wasn't right, that they were all about the big lavish wedding. Um, I've had I've had some couples where I've never met the groom. Like I've worked with a bride for two years, and then on the day you're trying to find like, oh, who looks dressed like a groom? And you're kind of going, excuse me, are you the groom? Oh, I've got a buttonhole. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but like it does happen. And um, yeah, it it, it kind of comes down to you know who you are, and I totally think that your wedding should reflect who you are, and it shouldn't be something that you're having because your family says it should be this way or because everybody for the past three generations has done it in this way. Um, I'm a big fan of like fusing things together. It's really funny because I'm Irish and my husband is um, is English. So we come from different backgrounds. Um, so what we did was we, we actually got married in the UK. So I flew all my family over from Ireland. And we told all of the Irish people that different things that we were doing were like a British tradition. But that's what we were doing. But we told the British people it was an Irish tradition and it wasn't anybody's tradition. We just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's historically accurate, but not really. That's so yeah. cool. And then we told, we told them on the day. We said, oh, yeah, we just, we just made it all up. Just did it, did it our own way. <laughs> hey, as long as they're having fun, right? That's the thing. Totally. Totally. And, and I love that your husband's into the wedding, too, because I, I always... At least that's from your story. That's what I think because I always give give props to the grooms whenever they walk to the office. They walk in. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a groom here! Congratulations! Yeah. And usually they're assigned to pick the videographer, so it's the guys. I think it's the guys' job to do. That's the, that's his only job, and hopefully, sometimes they screw up. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the the 
what we're going to talk about. I remember you said uh, you were in education first. And mm-hmm. yeah. for me, I my, my question is, because I've always been, I've never had stage fright, but I never had experience in educating. And I feel like with this podcast, my next my next step is workshops or, you know, coaching yeah. and education. But I never had – I'm a scatterbrain. So, see, like I always take notes whenever I do podcasts because I'm going to forget my, what my question is. <laughs> so, I'm a scatterbrain and I, I don't know how to organize everything. And then it's just it's just so hard for me to imagine myself – trying to impart knowledge number one impart knowledge to a person and number two to be to teach a person to be organized but not be organized so that's what i'm trying to work on right now so how but why would you want to teach somebody to be organized teach somebody what you know okay okay oh, okay, okay 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 and teaching is only having a conversation that's all you're doing you're just sharing information and you're sharing your take on information And I think that's the key to it. You don't try and do it the way somebody else does it. You do it the way that's right for you. And it's about reading your audience. And I've listened to some of your podcasts before I came on and you read your audience. Like, you know, the questions to ask. I know that you prep your questions in advance and you do your research. That's exactly what you do before you actually either coach somebody or before you do a workshop. And there is nothing wrong with having notes in front of you and referring back to them. That's what people do with PowerPoint presentations. If they're doing a doing a workshop, that's their notes. And then they give the notes to people then afterwards to the attendees. Like you're not expected to remember everything in your head. And your, your notes are there to guide you just so that you stay on the track that you actually want to talk, talk to them about. It also comes with experience. Yeah, I guess so. It, it, it really helped that... I started January. I started with the podcast January, and if you if you go back to the the first podcast episodes, which you shouldn't, <laughs> I, I, it, it was just like I was all over the place, and now I feel a little bit more confident. That's why I feel like podcasting helps helps people as well to at least like learn how to have an actual conversation. Because yeah. for me, in, English isn't my first language, so this is like really good practice for me to. To talk to people. You wouldn't think that. Oh, thank to, you. You wouldn't think that was that was the case. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so now I want to talk to you about mindset, which is yeah. motivation and mindset. And I know that for for small business owners, for solopreneurs, people in the wedding industry, the first thing that comes into your mind when you get into business is how do I make money out of this? But no one really talks about like trying to maintain your motivation because you're going to be motivated when you start out. But having like a consistent motivation and consistent mindset is actually the most important thing I feel is the most important thing for a business. So how do you how do you do it? How do wh- wh- where do you start when you're trying to get it back? When you're trying to get your motivation back. Isn't that a great question? You know what's better? If we have an actual conversation about it. I created a Facebook group just for the bosses. That's right. I'm calling y'all bosses. 
because I really want to hear what you think. Let's talk about your business, share your frustrations, and celebrate your victories. I want to surround myself with driven, hardworking people so we can help each other out and not feel like I'm being judged all the time. Let's talk about business. I can't wait to see you there, so visit the show notes after the interview and click on the link. Okay, now let's get back to the show. Well, I think the first thing to say is that every single person wants to throw in the towel and give up on a regular basis. And normally it's because it's not just that one thing is kind of like wobbly a little bit. It's that there's one or two things. And it might even be just something that you're physically tired and exhausted. So your mindset isn't as sharp and you just flip that little bit into negativity away from like your usual positive self. So it's about, it's kind of like, I see it kind of like as three different phases. So the first phase for anybody is to know yourself. You really need to know who you are. And it goes back to the classic of, you know, what's your why, which is that classic book by Simon Sinek. I love that. Um, and if you haven't read it, go read it. He also, there's a, a TED, TED talk on it. Go watch that. Um, he basically says that everything needs to start with why you're doing it, which is your main motivation. So my motivation when I left teaching and started my own job was that I wanted to have control over the amount of money that I could potentially earn. I felt that I was doing more work than I was being paid for. So at least if I was going to put in 60 hours, 80 hours a week for myself, then it was up to me to earn that money and the money would come to me. I wasn't being told, no, your maximum paycheck for the end of the month is this because you're on a fixed salary. That was one of my big motivations. My other motivation was that I wanted to spend more time um, with my family in the future. Now, I don't have kids. I'm married, but I don't have kids. But my mum lives in a different country and nobody is getting any younger. And I knew that at some point when something would happen, that I would need to go and look after her. And I wanted to be in a position that I wasn't going to have to say, oh, it's a nine to five job. You need to get cover. I'm going now. I don't know when I'm coming back. I wanted to have more flexibility. I also love travel. So I'm a bit of a travel junkie. And I just wanted to be able to kind of like, you know, take off whenever I wanted to and go. And I mean, it's great when you live in Europe because everything is like a short flight. Oh, I would love to live there. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of like, I want to go to Paris for three days. I want to go to, you know, Amsterdam for three days. You know, I mean, it's just like going to like little places here and there and just doing stuff while I'm young enough to be able to do it. I mean, I don't buy into the concept of like save up your money all your life, then retire and do stuff. It's like, I think I might be dead by then. So I'd rather do it now and kind of like get a little bit more. So I just felt that I wasn't living my life. So they're my kind of like key motivating factors. Other people get motivated by wanting to give their kids more than they had. They're wanting to kind of like have more money and have the extra income coming in or have the time to be able to spend with kids and family at home, particularly a lot of females that are in the in the wedding industry. A lot of that is kind of their, their main motivator. So you need to understand what it is, what your why is, why you want to run your business. You're going to be passionate about it. And that passion will be like a roller coaster. It will go up, it will go down, it will go up, it will go down. It's like a heart monitor at times. Um, And there will be spikes of absolute adrenaline rushes when things go right. But you'll also have the the opposite effect. And you will have days where, you know, cancel, clients cancel. I lost two weddings last year. So I lost about 10 grand of income, which like really hit me hard. 
But at the end of the day, I mean, this is this kind of like it swings and roundabouts, things happen. So you got to get good at self-analysis. You've got to get good at looking at who you are. Who, who are you and why do you want to do things? What do you want to be? Like, you don't have to set up a business with the intention of, I'm going to do this for the next 50 years. You might only decide you want to try this for the next two years. Um, you might decide that your challenge is to get a six-figure wedding um, and you're going to keep going until you get there. Then you might change your mind and go into a slightly different area. But you need to kind of have a direction. You need to know what it is that you actually want to do. You also need to know what you love. Because if you're not in love with what you're doing when you're self-employed, you won't succeed. If you're doing something for the wrong reason and you're doing it for the perception that you're going to earn money, that will not keep you going on those early morning starts for a wedding that you need to travel to in advance. That will not keep you going when your hours suddenly kind of like extend at the end of a day and a couple decide they want you for an extra couple of hours at the end of a wedding. Like you need to, you need to really, really love and embrace what it is that you do. And you need to realize that actually there are certain things that you're not going to love, but that that's okay. It's like, I hate paperwork. I hate doing all of the accounting side of stuff. But guess what? I pay an accountant to do that. <laughs> she does all of the work for me. And that, that just takes that off my shoulders to do. You don't have to be able to do everything yourself. But I think also in knowing yourself, you need to know where you want to be in a year, in five years and in 10 years. And it's that kind of self-analysis and getting used to doing that. Because if you're in a nine to five job and you're salaried, there's already a progression and like a, a job scale in whatever you're, you're you're working in. You know that, you know, if you go in at one level, then there's maybe an assistant manager level, then a manager, then something else. But you don't have that when you're when you're working for yourself. You get to set those goals. And I think that's where a lot of people transitioning from being employed into self-employed struggle because there's no structure there. There's no framework. And it's all about you. And you need to look inside you and see where you're going. So that will be my my first kind of thing of, of the motivation side of things. You need to understand what motivates you. Uh, you know, I've never, I've never had a desk job ever. So I... Neither I, have I. <laughs> it's just, I've never, I've never worked for anyone other than myself. So I've always had, because I, I, I always got into uh, filming and, you know, video yeah. and it's always just having my own business. So I, 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 I was so used to not having any structure, <laughs> but, there you go. but that's the thing. Like, just like what you said, if you don't like per paperwork, you delegate it. And that's what yeah. I did. My, my wife quit her job and she joined the company and that's where the structure came in. It was a little tough yeah. because she came in maybe three or four years uh, into the business. So I was so used to like having paperwork, paperwork literally on the floor. And she's just like, pick up, pick it up and put it in shelves and organize everything. So it was like a struggle for me to have structure. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's cool because just like what you said earlier too, it's your, one of your regrets was not having a coach, right? That was yeah. what you said earlier. And we just had uh, We just had a meeting with our coach, he, our business coach, and the first hour of our business, of our workshop, was 
finding out what our why is. And automatically for me, he's, he asked me like, so what's your why? And I said, because I want to make money. But then we went. Why we went do you want to make money? <laughs> and deeper and deeper and into why? it. And why? Yeah. It's just so it it blew my mind because I, I was telling him, you know, I was I didn't know I was doing this to pay my parents back. And it's and now it kinda like read it it kinda like read It refocuses you when yeah. you understand that. It's so crazy. And then you were saying about like if you don't love what you're doing, then you're gonna fail. And there was a point in my life in our in our company where you know, driving to the wedding and I'm yeah. already tired on the way to the wedding. But then I I realized that as soon as I see the couples, that's where that's that's my main purpose is yeah. to make them happy and to help them, just like what we were talking about earlier. And, you know, forecasting also is one of the best ways to know yourself. I, I love that. I love that you said that you need to see where you are going to be in one year, in five years, in 10 years, because... This is one of the perks of be having your own business. You control your own destiny. Totally. At least to a little bit of, you know, amount, but And it's scary as hell when you oh have that gosh. control. It's amazing. <laughs> initially, if you've if you've got been a route of being employed and then you're suddenly self-employed, it's like, "Whoa, scary. <laughs> What's going on?" And I think the thing with knowing roughly what you want to do in an in an hour, <laughs> in a year, 5 years, 10 years, you don't have to stick to that plan, but you need to have something written down because I kind of describe it to people. It's like the apps on your phone. They run in the background and they just keep going, even though you're not actually like physically doing anything with your brain is exactly the same. If your brain already has that plan of you're aiming towards something in a year or in five years without you even realizing it's processing things and it's actually pulling ideas together and structuring things subconsciously for you that you don't even realize and then suddenly something will jump out much later kind of because you're already starting to connect things, which is why I write everything down. Because apparently, um, scientifically, it's been proven that if you write things rather than type them or put them into a computer, that it actually connects different whatever neurons or whatever in your in your brain. I'm, I'm not big on science, but the bits in your brain, <laughs> in your memory that fire off all together, it works better. For you when you physically write things down which is why I do a lot of journaling now as well and again I used to think this was real woo-woo stuff like people are like oh write your gratitude journal every day and what are you thankful for and I was like are they off their head like what is this all about mind you you live in California so it's probably quite normal <laughs> but uh, like to me it was just like this is really random like what am I going to do but I read one book and um, I read a lot. And I think that's just probably from my background. But I heard several people, including Preston Bailey, um, who's my big idol. Um, I heard him say about the book, um, The Artist's Way. It's by Julia Cameron. And it's a brilliant book that really gets you thinking about who you are and your own motivation. So basically, she had run a course, and then the book is a result of the course, and it goes through different stages and gives you all of these thinking points and gets you starting journaling and gets you starting writing down. And it's amazing when you start, you think you've nothing to write, but then so many ideas and so many things come out when you actually physically start to write. So journaling, I think, has been a really, um, a really positive experience for me. 
Um, and when I don't do it, because I'm really bad at keeping things going the whole time. Um, when I don't do it for a chunk of time, I miss it. And then I can feel myself getting wobbly. And then I go back. And when you've written it down, and if you just have it all in one book, it's a great way of tracking your own progress. So when you have those really bad days and you have those really negative days, when you go back and you've actually assessed the day and you've assessed a week and you've seen what you've done that you're really proud of in that week or something that's like really great, and you read that back, that's really motivating because it's in your words and it's your feelings on how you felt. Because I think sometimes we focus on the negatives of what we're doing or what we're not doing, and we don't look enough at our progress. So I know you asked me kind of, um, how do you get unstuck on things? For me, definitely one of the things to get me unstuck is to go back and read my journal and read kind of those weekly recaps of what went really well and look at how far you've come. Because when you're moving so fast, and my God, my life moves so fast, I feel like Tuesday was kind of two months ago because so much has happened since then. But I think when you focus on the positives and what you have done, and you spend more time looking back at your positives and going, you know what, I've actually really come on a long journey here. But if you don't have that written down, you forget it. So journaling and going back and checking in on yourself um, and writing down the stuff that, that has been great. Equally, you can write down the stuff that hasn't been so great, but you write it in such a structure that, okay, this hasn't worked. Why hasn't it worked? And what am I prepared to do to fix it? And I think that's a really key thing that you have to ask yourself all the time. What am I prepared to do to fix this when something goes wrong? It may be that it's a learning mistake. You just didn't know how to do something. You did it wrong. Then you figure out how to do it. It's not going to happen again. Um, it may be a situation where you're in a situation working with somebody and it's not the right match or not the right fit. So you've got to then say, okay, well, what am I prepared to do about this? Am I prepared to say, no, that's it and draw a line under it? Or am I prepared to try and fix the situation? So always look at your negatives in terms of how can I fix this? What am I actually prepared to do to do to fix this? Because that will generally give you your answer to things as well and help you get unstuck. Okay, that's cool. I I write a lot too. I mean, write write a lot, like write notes uh, in my notebook, not not like a novel or anything. But I I feel like. Because I also type on my phone when I don't have my notebook. And you're right. I, I remember it better when it's written down. Yeah. And I also, I used to have like a lot of panic attacks before. And I I even have a symptom checker like January. I, I'm feeling this way and I can feel this. And, you know, going back la to last year, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like the season. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's crazy. It, and then I see my progress and I, I feel so proud of myself. And it's just like having all those notes to remind you, I feel like it it, it is going to be helpful. It definitely helps. And, and I think it depends on what, whether you want to write or whether you want to do it like on your phone and on apps and stuff. As long as you're doing it, that's the main thing. And as long as you're doing something that works for you. And I think that's one of the one of the, the key points that I always kind of emphasize to people is that, you know, you've got to take other people's ideas, take the best out of them and apply them to your own situation. Don't blindly try and do what they say 
that's going to do because what will work for me won't work for you and vice versa. But there'll be elements, there'll be like a core element that we'll both be able to use, but we've got to like twist it and just put that little twist on it, make it right for you in your setting. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, that that's the best way for you to find yourself. Uh, to be yourself is to, oh, to know yourself is to write notes. Definitely. Bar none, yeah. It's, it's kind of like reading your own biography. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think I'd want anybody else to read. <laughs> so, so now that we've known ourselves, the second one are the blocks. Do, do you Definitely the blocks, yeah. Bit? So you need, to, you need to kind of like think about what might stop you from moving forward because we're great at coming up. Creatives are great at coming up with the ideas. We know what we want to do. And you get really passionate about it and you go, this is great. I've got this great idea until you tell somebody else and they kind of look at you and go, that won't work. Really? Don't think so. Why would you want to do that? There's kind of three big things that, that, that repeatedly come out for everybody. And the first one has got to be imposter syndrome. People won't believe that I am able to do that. Who's going to buy that service or buy that product from me? Who am I to be able to do that? And at the end of the day, like everybody starts, it's like with an Instagram account, everybody starts with no followers. Everybody is leveled at the start. People compare them their start of a journey to somebody else's year 10. And you just can't compare. It's like comparing an elephant with a caterpillar. Like they're not the same and they're never going to be the same. It doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. But, you know, imposter syndrome, you've got to find a way of, of not talking yourself out of doing things and almost rationalizing, okay, so I'm telling myself I can't do this. Why am I telling myself I can't do this? What's really the issue underneath this? Because it's not normally what you think it's going to be. And we give ourselves a lot of, um, give ourselves a lot of um, reasons to not do things. And a lot of it comes down to, a lack of something. Like, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough clients. I don't have enough confidence. I don't have enough fill in whatever word you want to. And we tell, tell ourselves this. And it's about changing your, your internal narrative. It's about changing the voice in your head from, I don't have enough experience now, so I'm going to go and get some. You need to add that next phrase on. So I can do this first and then it will lead to something else. So it's about kind of realizing and recognizing there's a block. Realizing when you're, um, when you're kind of, what's the, the, the word I'm looking for? When, when your brain wants to protect you, it's like self-preservation. Um, your brain doesn't like change. It likes routine. It likes everything to be the same. So when you come up with this great new idea going, I'm chucking in my job, I'm starting up my new business, I'm going to be a millionaire in the next two years, your brain is like, whoa, I don't think I really want to do all of this in such a short period of time. But it's just natural defenses kicking in. But you've got to start reading your own thoughts. And you've got to start reading your thoughts and realizing, actually, that's a barrier. That's a trigger. I know from from monitoring myself that sometimes when I get a really good idea and I'm kind of like trying to up level something. So I'm either trying to push for a higher price wedding for new clients and I kind of get a bit wobbly over it. I have different tells. Like when I'm talking to myself, I start to yawn 
and I physically start to yawn and I'm like going, why am I yawning? And I've now realized, oh my God, that's your body going, I'm a bit freaked out. And now when I can see that and I realize it's happening, it's like, okay, this is good. I now have changed that in my mind to this is a good thing. This means I'm about to up level and this means that I'm actually going to take things to the next step. And you need to kind of realize that when your body is telling you, I don't have something, it actually is just a trigger mechanism for you to say, here's what I need to do next and just break it down into steps. I think most of us want to run before we can walk. And you really, the only way to do things, especially running a business from scratch, from nothing at the start, is just step by step. Small steps the whole time will absolutely get you there. Yeah, just compound compound uh, interest, like compound effect, just one day yeah. at a time, just start. Yeah. That's the thing with me, imposter syndrome is um, I before I started the podcast, it took me two years because I'm like, no one knows who I am. I don't think I could offer anything to people. And, you know, just one day at a time, eventually January, I started and I'm like, wow, all these amazing people are saying yes to the podcast. This is great. Yeah. And now I'm... I you're probably my 45th episode so wow. I cannot believe I'm saying that because it's That's it's fantastic. just been a great well journey. Thank you. It's just been a really great journey. So you you were saying um the, one of the blocks is imposter syndrome, right? Are there, yes. are there other yeah. blocks too? Yeah, well having the lack of something, but also there's there's going to be irrational fear. So that's going to be a fear that is based on something that has happened in your past. And that Everybody has this, and I think not enough people realize this. So something could have happened when you were a kid, or it could be just how people spoke to you when you were like in your family environment as you were growing up, because you absorb other people's um, ideas the whole time, particularly when you're a child and into kind of like teenage years. So it could be something that's totally irrational, like if you weren't one of the cool kids at school and then the cool kids were looking down their nose at you, you may still have that feeling of like, oh my God, if I'm a wedding planner now, how am I going to deal with people? If I see somebody from my past and they see me, I'm just going to kind of go back into kind of an introverted state. Are people going to view me in a particular way? So it's about kind of like rationalizing that and going back and saying, okay, this happened to me so many years ago. At the end of the day, if that happened now, what would I do as an adult? Because we're still taking childhood thoughts and ideas and we're bringing them through into adulthood. But actually, you need to look at what happened to you as a child, view it now as an adult and go, okay, it shouldn't have happened. It was upsetting. How do I move forward from that? And try and rationalize it. It's like if you've got a, a, a fear of spiders. I have no idea why I'm afraid of spiders. I have no idea why, um, but I am. And I would rather like have my fingernails pulled out and be put in a room with like big spiders in there. It would just freak me out. There's no rational reason for that, but I have to accept it and I have to try and kind of overcome that fear. It's exactly the same with kind of things that are going to come up as a stumbling block for you in your business. And most of these uh, revolve around money and how you choose to either undercut yourself and not charge your worth for, for whatever services um, or products you're supplying. And um, they come to how you choose to spend money on yourself, on your own like personal development and training. And um, 
So a lot of people may have blocks on not wanting to spend money um, or feeling guilty about spending money on themselves. Um, the other kind of big blocks that people will have is confidence issues. And again, an awful lot of that stems from how other people have treated you. And a lot of it kind of goes back to childhood and school days with the greater majority of people. So it's about unpicking those, recognizing what they are and recognizing how they're stopping you now and then making a conscious decision to say, do you know what? I'm going to draw a line under that. I'm going to forgive what's happened in the past. That's in the past. It's not now. That's not the me now. And it certainly isn't the me of the future because you have your dreams, you have your passions. What do you need to do to actually just like take things onto the next step? So it's about realizing what your blocks are, stopping, recognizing them, giving them giving them respect because they're there and they're part of you, but then working on them. And it's not an overnight transformation, but it's about literally thinking about them. And if it's a situation that you need to go and talk to people about it to try and unpick it, a lot of good coaches are great like that. Um, I know that some of the coaches that I worked with initially, um, things came out in those sessions and it was based on my business. And I suddenly realized, oh my God, that's why I wouldn't spend money on this because one of my parents had constantly said, oh no, people are trying to scam you if they're charging you like large amounts for something, which makes no sense. But that was kind of like in, instilled in me. And then I had to recognize that, respect that and go, no, that's wrong. And that was wrong that that was ever even in my mind. I don't think like that anymore. Now I'm going to move forward. That's great. You know, these blocks, it's it's so funny now, now that we're talking about, you, you were saying that every block is always goes back to childhood, like a memory or something, right? A lot of them do, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like knowing yourself first, this is like a progression that you're you're talking yeah. about. And the three the three progressions, like knowing yourself is trying to find out who you are and what what you believe in. And then you encounter the blocks, which kind of like tests you about, okay, okay, you know, and it's it's so funny because, you know, growing up, I in high school, that's exactly what I was. I was like trying to know myself. I want to be cool. I want to be, uh, you know, this guy. And then the blocks came in and high school was just like a major block for me because number one i hate i hate going to school <laughs> and my mom's a teacher too <laughs> so you know th those are the big blocks in like talking to people and it it's just at the end of the day not really end of the day but as i grew older i just realized i just had to be myself yeah and it's it it would have been just so easy if i just became myself Ever since I was young, yeah, it would have been so easy. So, and I that's that's like a segue to the third one, which is perfect. So, do you <laughs> yes, mind talking indeed. about that a little bit more? Yeah. So, so then the next kind of step, really, for me, is being authentic, and this is one that I really struggled with when I started my business, because when I started, I was kind of like, oh, I want to try and make myself look like I'm a really big company rather than just me sitting at home by myself. And I kind of, even on the website, I was like, we do this, we do that, rather than just like, it's me. I was like, what's the point in trying to make yourself out to be bigger than you are? Because as soon as you deal with a client, you're the one that's answering the phone, you're the one that's sending the email, you're the one that's there on the actual wedding day. They realize really quickly that it's just you and they're cool with it. It doesn't 
doesn't make a difference. But you really need to just follow your own path and you need to do what works for you. And I know I've kind of touched on this earlier as well, that, you know, there's so many programs out there that we, we consume. There are so many different books that we read. It's, it's almost a bit like diets. People like, you know, have the, the different fads that they follow. And yeah, the way I look at it, particularly when it comes to motivation and particularly when it comes to mindset, you need to take the elements that work for you and apply them into your own life. You need to spend more time on looking at your positives than you need to spend looking on your negatives, just like as a rule, <laughs> because you need to have more positivity in your life. My God, everybody else is, is so ready to like be negative about you and to knock you down. If you're doing that to you as well, you really don't stand at hope. You have to make sure that you're, you know, you're being positive and looking at all of the, the strengths that you have. And again, that goes back to the journaling and following through and seeing and tracking yourself and tracking yourself on a regular basis to see how far that you've come. But you also need to spend more time on you than on diluting what other people are actually giving you. Um, because if you try to be somebody that you're not, you're not being authentic and that's going to come through. And when I kind of rebranded things and it was for me, it was big to put my name into my styling business. So I did formally trade as dedicated to detail, but then I changed my name through and I changed my business to be D making wedding styling. And for me, that was huge because I was actually putting myself front and center. And it was a big jump in my head to do that, even though it was still me and it was still me doing the same thing. But to my mind, it was like, oh, my God, they're going to really know it's me now and not just, you know, it's not like this, this facade of like there's 20 people. I mean, I know of people who, who used to pretend and answer their phone in different voices. I was like, oh, this is Mary from reception. Oh, I'll just put you through to Anne in sales. It's like, why? <laughs> why would you bother doing that? But, you know, people aren't, if you're not comfortable in yourself and you don't know who you are, that's when you start to try to hide. And there's no hiding if it's just you in the business. You've got to be you and you've got to do things in your way and you've got to be comfortable about doing things in your own way. A really kind of, I think the perfect mindset, if it exists, is being authentic, focusing on your strengths, focusing on the stuff that you are absolutely brilliant at. If you're average at something, don't put that out there as your biggest offering. Go with the stuff that you are really passionate about and the stuff that you're absolutely great at. Like if you had to name yourself as like uh, as a superpower, what are your superpowers? Now, that could be kind of a personal interaction skill could be one of your superpowers. I can read clients really, really quickly. I can talk to them in five minutes and know exactly what their wedding is going to be like. That's one of my superpowers. But it's not going to be something that I'm putting out on my brand on like on my website saying, I can tell you your ideas in five seconds. But you need to focus on your strengths, whatever they are. And um, whether they're the creative side, whether it's you getting your clients in, the whole sales um, process, you need to let your, um, you need to really focus on what, what you know you're, you're good at. But you also need to let your dreams and your passions guide you. You've got to go with what your dreams are and you've got to, you know, go with what you're passionate about, regardless of what other people are saying to you. Because sometimes people will give you what they think is a really helpful piece of advice, but it just doesn't work for you. And um, I mean, when I went self-employed initially, my father-in-law was devastated 
he was like, why would you want to give up a really good job? Like you could be a head teacher. And I'm like, yeah, because I might be dead by the time I'm 40 if I do that, because it's really not very happy. <laughs> and your poor son who I'm married to will not really appreciate that. So, you know, sometimes people have the best, uh, best of intentions for you, but you've got to go with, with your dreams. And um, I remember way back when I went to Las Vegas I actually went to like the what was the event solutions and cater source conferencing and I went to one of them the first year that I started my business <laughs> from the UK I'm going to Vegas that's it and I saw David Tutera speak on stage and I will never forget him saying you know you've got to dream big but then you've got to dream bigger and you've got to just keep dreaming bigger every time you hit a landmark um, you've got to just take it to the next level and you've got to keep going and keep going and don't let anybody give up. Um, don't let anybody else's small mindedness stop you from dreaming and believing that you can do it because you absolutely can. If you've come to the stage that you've actually started a business, there's something there. You have the passion, you have the belief, you just have to keep going and you just have to train yourself to analyze yourself. You've got to know yourself, you've got to deal with those blocks You've got to become more authentic. You've got to release the fear of being yourself and put yourself out there. Because when you do, and when you do that, and when you get that right, you will be so much happier as a person. But equally, when you're happy as a person, your business is going to grow faster and your profits are going to go faster. And that goes full circle back to your why. So whatever you went into the business for in the first place, you're actually going to be able to achieve. And that is something really, really special because I know now in the last, probably in the last 12 months, I've been able to travel a lot and spend a lot of time um, bringing my mum off just on little trips. We, we've already been to Paris this year for just kind of like three days, go and do a few galleries. And at the same time, like I'm sending text messages back to my, my bridal clients and stuff. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't started my own business. And um, there are so many things that, that I wouldn't have been able to do that I now am in a position to be able to do. But it's hard work, um, but it is so worth it. And a lot of people put too much emphasis on the learning the business skills. But the way I look at it, you need kind of three sets of skills. You need the business skills of actually physically running a business and know how to get your clients in the door and what to do with your clients when they arrive. You need your industry-led skills so in my case, I needed to have floristry skills and understand the mechanics and how to deal with flowers. In your situation, you need to know about videos, editing and sound and lighting and stuff like that. So you need your industry specific kind of like a whole set of skills. And then that third one, which is all of what we've been talking about today, you need those personal skills. Because if you don't have those three all at the same level, you're it's like having a, a, a tripod with one leg shorter than the other. You're never going to be in focus with that. You've got to have the three of them all connected and all working at the same level. So people that say, oh, I'm going to put off my working on my mindset or motivation, or I'm not going to get a coach until I have a six-figure business. You're never going to hit that six-figure business because you need to have those three different almost circles all kind of happening at the same time together. And when you do, it's awesome. <laughs> my gosh, this... Uh this is great. The the three skills, you you're always just giving me so much information. I usually <laughs> I usually get like a snippets of the interview and put it in the front of the podcast. 
I don't know what to choose now. <laughs> like, so, so I have a question about that. But before before I get into that question, I want to I have a confession to make because when we started out our business here, I told my wife that I don't want anyone to know what we look like because I don't want to be typecasted as a Filipino videographer. So for a good five years. We never showed photos on our website of us. We never showed ourselves in social media. So every time we have a couple knock on the door and come in, well, I, I open the door, right? And they, this is their reaction. And then they look back at me and they, oh, it's so funny because they never expected us to, <laughs> to look like yeah. what we did. But, you know, and then... There became like a, a block when all of this time we never got our name out there because no one who knew who we were. We we were kind of like this faceless brand. And until the one day I just you know, I just made a decision like, okay, the, we we should just show ourselves and show who we are and you know that that actually changed our business because yeah. we got people got to relate to us a little bit more and we got more work and we got our network just grew 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 immensely and it was so worth it i wish i could go back in time and just be myself yeah but that's why we we offer coaching too <laughs> exactly <laughs> so my question is so we we've all been about like authentic and knowing yourself right what if <laughs> what if your real self isn't a good person? <laughs> how how is that gonna work? <laughs> Sorry, I'm your throwing... real self isn't a good person. <laughs> I'm throwing your curveball. Context, not a good person. Okay, so there's a lot of, at least from I I've been talking with a lot of people in the industry, and you know the one thing they don't like in the industry is fake people. People mm -hmm. who aren't genuine okay. when it comes to like dealing with them, and I think in the in the age of social media, people are just craving for that human interaction, yeah. and then they meet these people who are fake, and it just drains the heck out of you because you you, you go to these networking events, not even trying to look for work, but just to connect with people, and you encounter these people, and so. That's probably their true self because, you know, so that my, that's my question for you is what if it backfires when you become your true self? I mean, I'm pretty I sure. I think it would yeah. though because I think that, I think that people that, that, that put themselves out there like that, that are that negative, they haven't been through that journey of they don't know who they are. I think they're more uncomfortable in their own skin and they don't know how to deal with themselves. So that's coming across and how they deal with other people. I think that anybody that is of that mindset, <laughs> they would have left after like five minutes of us talking because they just wouldn't listen to things like that because they're not ready for it. Um, and I think that can be a situation as well that people, people don't want to dig into who they actually are. And generally there's, there's something traumatic in there that only they can actually kind of deal with themselves. So I don't think 
I don't know. That's kind of that's a that's a hard question. That, that that's actually a great answer because they're that you're just saying that they're not complete with their journey yet. So yeah. as someone who I, I I feel like I've completed my my journey when it comes to like finding out who I am and being authentic. Yeah. As someone who's like this, my job is to understand them instead of like, oh no, she's fake or he's fake, and we shouldn't talk to them. So I feel like you just have to like. It's normally that they have an issue, and they're. It's almost like holding a mirror up that they're trying to push something else back out so that you can't see through. Okay. They're not comfortable with who they are for whatever reason, and it may be just that they're working through blocks themselves. See, that's such a great answer. You answered it, <laughs> and I didn't even expect that answer. So it's it's great. So what you're saying is. At least, also from my experience, like being yourself is um, ben- beneficial. Not only because you're free, like I could actually be myself, and people are going to yeah. be accepting, uh, are going to accept me. But also, you're going to surround yourself with like-minded people, which I feel like as solopreneurs is really, really important because we don't have coworkers. And when, exactly. we, when we go to like networking events or like for us, we, we develop friendships with all these, the other vendors. So we have like lunch outs and talk about work. It really helps. So I feel like just being authentic brings out, so you surround yourself with the people that you, that are like you. Definitely. And I think you attract the right type of clients as well. Um, yes. I think it works that way too. Um, I know that when I started out um, and I was trying to get like more wedding planning business, because I have done fully planned weddings, but I just don't like all the organization. I prefer the pretty now instead. It's less work for me. <laughs> um, but when I was doing the wedding planning, there was a perception that, you know, um, the planners needed to look a certain way, dress a certain way, have their makeup on, be very kind of like elegant looking, um, very kind of girly looking. Um, which isn't my natural look. But then I just said no to hell with this. And it's like, no, I'm not going to bother wearing makeup. Just try and get clients because if I don't do it on a daily basis, it's not really me being me. So I was, I really went through kind of this kind of whole kind of phase of, oh my God, people aren't going to talk to me. And I was like, for goodness sake, it doesn't make a difference because they're going to actually see you turn up like this on the wedding day. So why not just be you from like the start and the whole process of it? So yeah, I, I can see, I can see kind of like where that comes from. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, having attracting the couples too, because the vendors that are like-minded with you are probably going to be the same way with their couples. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm I'm looking through my notes and I'm. I I just I just saw that. When you were talking about like um, you live in uh, you you live where you live and it's it's everything's like behind right like the 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 trends in the weddings whenever it gets to you it's it's behind that's what yeah, you were saying earlier it can be yeah so is it that's probably like an advantage right when it comes to mm-hmm. right okay okay that's good I that's watch good. what you do and then it'll be here in two years <laughs> that's perfect because you know here in California it's just it's like the wild west like people are trying different things and yeah it it might be good it might be bad but it's like something i i feel like i want i want that i want to be where you are because i'm pretty much set in my ways 
<laughs> I don't want to compete in the wild race. Oh my gosh, I would love to. So that's the thing. Like for us, I guess my 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 question for you is, um, the probably my last question is when it comes to mindset and motivation. How big of a percentage should your exit plan be? Exit plan out of your business. Yes. How big is it as your like mindset? Do you need to include that every time? Because I feel like uh, for me, I always include that in my head, and it motivates me to okay, we're almost at the finish line, or we're we're getting close. You know, just like milestones until I get to my my exit plan. So is that something? I think it's something that will very much depend on the person because different things motivate in different ways. Some people get motivated by fear of not having something, but yet other people get motivated by the benefits of having something. So there's kind of like this positive and negatives that can attract or repel you, that kind of boost you on. And it's about knowing which of those are right for you. Um, in terms of like, I never think of exit strategies because I don't really, I see things as, as circular rather than linear. So I'm never going to get to an end destination because I'm on a circle. I'm just going to keep going round and round. But that would be how I kind of like view time and kind of like phases. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's it's more of a journey and I'll know what I need to do next when I get to that point. Um, but I think then me being me, <laughs> I do several different things at once. So I know there's always going to be a new project. Like I've got three brands as it is, but like, I'd be like, oh, and I keep trying to cut things down and it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, like, you know, having an, egg, an exit strategy. And I think a lot of people will, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cause I kind of don't see myself retiring so to speak i don't want to have you know a fixed amount of money by a certain amount of time i i don't see business and life as separate for me they're all blended so it's like my lifestyle includes how i work how i study how i live so i don't necessarily see my business as a separate entity i know some people will and they'll see it as something that they either want to build up and sell on which is cool um but again that's like different mindsets on it um so yeah, so for me, it's kind of, I look at things a little bit differently than you on that. Okay. Makes sense. So for me, <clears throat> I think my exit plan, not really exit plan then, but I really like doing the podcast because I feel like even if I'm like 70 years old, my voice is still going to be the same and it's, you know, I'm probably going to turn off the video <laughs> by that. <laughs> but I really enjoy this because I get to have conversations with people. Yeah from different places and you know you get to have like really valuable and you know eventually we're gonna be connected more and more but i i think for me i i want to invest in small businesses what just so just a, you know in time like compound just putting putting small things in small businesses that i think that's my exit plan so, so but see that's not an exit that's just a next phase okay it's uh, just changing your direction ever so slightly. So, okay, instead of straight line, circle, but maybe the circle is getting smaller and smaller? Or we're getting yeah, bigger and bigger? Yeah, it could be a circle okay. within a circle. It's like, a, you know, when, when they cut the tree out. Oh, my gosh, no cutting trees. But when they cut the trees, <laughs> that's how you know how old the and tree the is. And the rings from their age, okay. yeah. 
I'm going to be a massive okay. tree. I hope so. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I am a massive tree. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I guess last advice. I, I don't know if you've had any experiences with people who are like in the middle of their careers who are lost and, you know, maybe like advice for people who are lost and trying to get their mindset back and tell us, tell the listeners how they could get in touch with you and special. Don't forget to mention your blog because your blog's amazing. So just, uh, yeah. If you're not happy, you're not living your life properly. And it doesn't matter how you try and sugarcoat that for yourself. You really need to focus on what makes you happy, whether that's a change in career direction, whether that's change, a change in lifestyle. But you've got to try things out to figure out what's right for you. So definitely, if, if you feel that something is not quite right for you, do something about it. Like life is literally too short. Don't leave things. Take action. Take action now. You don't have to take as dramatic action as me, kind of like overnight, I'm leaving my job. <laughs> Not the best plan in the world. And I never recommend people to do that. But take a small step. Try something different. And, um, you know, there are so many opportunities out there. And, you know, as you mentioned yourself, it's so much easier now. And everybody is so much more connected. I mean, I'm sitting here in the UK. I'm not living in my home country. Neither are you. Um, but yet today, I've been coaching somebody in South Africa, and now I'm talking to you in California. That's the kind of world that we're living in. That's crazy. Like, and that's like, I wouldn't say it's a normal day, but that's a day in my life. And, um, you know, the connections and everything are there. You can do anything that you want to do in this day and age. You just have to start, and you just have to take those small steps. And you just have to trust yourself, and you just have to unpick how you think. And that's the biggest thing. And just educate yourself on that. Um, some of it will come, some of it won't come naturally to you, but there are so many different people out there and so many different books that you can read that will definitely help you along the way. But definitely, yeah, read my blogs. <laughs> so my uh, website is theweddingbusinessdojo.com. Um, so that's got all of like my coaching and my blog and everything is on that. And my styling website is dmatmaking.com. So that's more for my my um, bridal customers. Sweet. But that's where you'll find me and you'll find me on Instagram as well at the Wedding Business Dojo or at dmatmaking. And uh, I just uh, saw that you're friends with Kylie Carlson. Yes, too. indeed. That's, that's crazy. So uh, um, we were supposed to do an interview earlier but then I, I think she got preoccupied. So she, she had her, her coaching session went over. So we're, we're going to set another interview. But it's just so crazy that, you know, she's she's in France. And you guys are just, yeah. it, the world is so connected. And all you have to do is take advantage of that. And people are, people are so willing to help out other yeah. people now more than ever. And you just have to take. You just have to ask for help and people will help you. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's the perfect way to end this. So thank you again. I really appreciate the time that you've given me and all the best to you, Dee. Yes, indeed. And hopefully I shall uh, meet you face to face at some point soon. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Anytime.
Thank you, Dee, for a great interview. I'm sure all of the wedding creatives in our audience have a much clearer understanding of getting started with motivation and mindset now that you've laid everything out so clearly. So thank you very much for sharing your expertise and experiences. Well done. So again, thank you, Dee, for sharing with us. And thank you to all the wedding creatives in our audience for joining us for this amazing Beginner's Guides presentation about motivation and mindset to help you get off to the right start. I'd like to invite you to check out www.theweddingbusinessdojo.com today for more on how you can succeed with motivation and mindset and the real struggles of a solopreneur. I'd love to know more about what you do to set yourself with your motivation and mindset and you know the real struggles of a solopreneur. Or if you learned something from this episode, reach out, message me on Instagram, email me, do whatever it takes. I'd love to hear stuff like these. I always look forward to your messages, so keep them coming. Do me a favor and share this podcast with someone whom you think will benefit from it. I really like reading your reviews, so please share your experiences with this podcast by leaving a review on iTunes or rating it. Actually, let me read a review right now. Ooh, this is a good one. This one is from One Sweet Mullet. Headline is, so meaty, not needy, meaty, so meaty. (laughs) Just heard the boom pod with Joey Rieger and got such an education on video cameras. It was awesome. Loved the light and fun conversation and just being a fly on the wall. Production value was surprisingly high as well. I'll recommend this pod for sure. And I want to do another one. I want to read another one from Ellen Bittner. This podcast is legit. I'm not even a wedding videographer, and I love this podcast. Each episode is filled with practical information for growing your business, developing your brand, working with clients, etc. Plus equipment and tech talk. The guests on every episode has been amazing. I can't believe this is free. So thanks, guys, for, thanks guys for leaving a review. I'll see you on the next episode of the Wedding Video Boss Podcast. Till then, play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out. If you can't win, be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out.